2: 18 plus
3: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network
4: Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul Dondykes. I'm joined by Colin Watt and we were just having a wee flab before going live unexpectedly. I'm just so concerned that we don't go to 12.31 on a Monday
5: without going live. Colin Watt, how are you my friend? I'm doing good, I'm doing good. Good to be back on a Monday. Yes. Um, so everybody's feeling a bit down today because it's the first day back for a lot of people since the Christmas holidays I know Paul you lock, don't know what Christmas of them. holiday is <laughs> um, but yeah certainly for a lot of people it will be but Hopefully we'll cheer you up over this next uh, hour or
4: so. Absolutely, yeah, because we're going to be talking about VAR. <laughs> no, oh, no a, you're there's right loads. There's loads to discuss um, after the the weekend's action. Celtic initially going twelve points clear, but that was cut back to nine points, virtue of a two 0 win at Tannadice, where VAR was in the spotlight again um, with handballs in the box by that man Golson. Uh, unbelievable, but we'll be coming back to that. We'll we'll talk about our action first. Colin, and I'm pretty sure handballs and consistencies and everything else will be discussed during the next hour. Um, we'll also be talking about transfers and ins and outs. Look at that tagline. Yakamaka out Cho, Gui, Sung in. That's what appears to be happening. We've already got a replacement in for Juranovic. Colin, we'll talk about the players individually, but is there a sense of... Surprise when you look at some of the transfer fees that have been quoted for Zhiranovic and Yakimakis?
5: I think there is, especially when you look back to the same people that's reporting this news today that reported it back in the summer um, when they were talking about how bids were starting at £15 million for Joseph Zhiranovic in the summer. But now, six months later, it's down to half of that. So I'd be intrigued to find out why that happened or how that happened, um, especially after the fact that he's became a World Cup semi-finalist. You'd think, if anything, that was going to increase his value, but um, obviously something going on behind the scenes. Um, for Giacomakis, <clears throat> it's an interesting one. Again, he's someone who's at the stage of his career um, where this next move is probably his last move or his last big move. Um, and for me the fact that he's looking at going to places like Japan that really surprises me I thought he'd like to go somewhere that would challenge himself especially when the fact that he made the move from Venlo to Celtic you're thinking, right, well your next sort of stepping stone from there maybe looking at the English Premier League one of the big five leagues in Europe Mm. um, it's a a real surprise that he's looking to to make that move out to the Far East although I wonder how much of an influence Andrew's had in that I don't think it's necessarily a fallout between Ange and the player. I do think it's a fallout between the player's agent and the club but not getting the contract that he's looking for. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how this goes. But um, I would say if you're looking at it for the fees, not ideal, to be perfectly honest. But we've shown, and Michael Beale will disagree, that even on a small budget, you can turn around that £7 million and bring in three or four quality players. Just because we're shopping in a different market to what they are, doesn't mean that that £7 million isn't going to go out and bring us in two or three quality players that can extend that gap that we've got with them.
4: Yeah, I don't know how accurate the fees are. Obviously, like you say, we're going to wait and see until the deals are done. We'll be talking about the players individually, But how can you gain Champions League and World Cup experience in Djuranovic's case and your value go down? That doesn't make sense. How can Yakimakis' value only be around the 6 or £7 million mark when he is playing at the top level of European football in the Champions League? Yeah, he's not getting a game at the moment for Celtic, but he's got a fantastic record, Colin, uh, that you can't take away from him. And surely a player isn't so desperate to leave that they would go... To, I'm not going to say I um, step down uh, by going to a different division there's other teams in, involved in the race for Yakimakis Sam Doria for example have been quoted this morning in uh, the Greek press uh, as being interested in Yakimakis if he's going to leave and I've already said I don't want him to um, but if he is going to leave, then ideally you want two or three clubs to be in a fight for him to push that transfer fee up. I didn't think there'd be any issue with the transfer fee for Juranovic. The only niggling suspicion I have is that there might be a transfer clause in there when he signed for Celtic. And if that's the case, Colin, you're then asking yourself, do Ligia Warsaw have a sell-on fee? And then you're not really making a great deal of money out of a player who
5: starred at the World Cup. No, what's quite interesting as well is when you look at after- it, He'll have spent the exact same amount of time here at Celtic as what he has done at Legia Warsaw. So he does seem to be someone who is always thinking of his next step ahead. Um, I know if you look back at his career, the most amount of time he spent was when he was at um, Haiduk Split, Mm -hmm. uh, where he was there for about three, four, five years. (sighs) Look, he's obviously someone who's got a bit of ambition, but I don't know if Monza necessarily is that, right ambition for what he has he obviously knows that he's going to be the the right back for Croatia going forward I would have thought that when you look at the kind of clubs that are interested in you, if you're sitting listening to it and you're hearing the likes of I mean Barcelona were definitely in the the mix, there was talk of Chelsea there was others and then the next thing he turns around and goes Mm. I'm going to go to Italy and I'm going to go to Monza something just doesn't seem right about that but it's up to these I mean we've, we've seen it with Tom Roderick there in the summer, how he ended up at West Brom. That that man deserves a far better team than West Brom. But um, These players are going to make their decisions. We've got to enjoy them while they're at Celtic, and then after that, then it's up to them. Yeah, it is.
4: <clears throat> and there are choices out there, Colin, both football and non-football, that don't always work out for the player. Um, our concern is always with... Uh, Celtic and what's best for us as a club. I found it also interesting that there was talk of Monza coming in with a, a loan to buy deal. I thought that was pretty bizarre because then it would suggest that um, we're brought in a, his replacement thinking that a deal was lined up elsewhere, you know, because I, I don't see that really working for Celtic. Obviously, we don't want to have three right-backs at the club. That's no ideal and we don't want to play Juranovic at left-back uh, <laughs> after his eyebrow's showing. Um, but the, the loan-to-buy to thing made me wonder, was there a deal maybe lined up and it's broken down? It'll all come out in the wash, as they say, Colin. We'll be talking about the Kilmarnock game just passed with a view to Kilmarnock at the weekend again. And we're welcoming some of the regulars, Jungle Lion, all the way from Dublin afternoon to you, sir. Uh, always an absolute pleasure to see you in the YouTube comments. Jake, feel the JJ deal is robbery and we should force the player to stay until a decent offer comes in. However, as long as Ange gets back to either way, I'm not too bothered. You, you get into that that niggly bit though Colin, don't you when a clock you know you hear the clichés the heads turned the heads out the door all that stuff, but it is true. You know, we've seen that with some of the players who had a wee bit too too long a stay at Celtic in Neil Lennon's final season. Um, you know, because if the 100% commitment and focus isn't with Celtic, it does show in the performances. Mm. It absolutely does. There was a suggestion that Juranovic's performance against Rangers had the elements of that in it. Who knows? I mean, we're obviously just looking at performance, looking at the scenario and coming up with that as a conclusion. But I would much rather, if the player is not happy, and this is where I'm kind of accepting of Yakimakis's move, if the player's not happy, your best to get them out of there.
5: I think, yeah, in that sense, because... When you look at it, we've not necessarily been shy in the transfer market. We are actively always looking to replace people. Maybe a couple of years ago when, like for the likes of, and we say this now, but he's obviously came on to be a fantastic player for us since. When we were replacing Kieran Tierney, we were looking at someone who was a 10 for that value at the time. Mm-hmm. And we're saying, well, that's a, that's not really progressive of, of us we should have invested that and brought in a quality player to continue that sort of um, run in Europe that we were getting to when Kieran Tierney left. And obviously Greg Taylor's his replacement. And to be fair to Greg Taylor, it has taken him a couple of years, but he has really, really proved himself at Celtic and he um, he will be a, a sort of bigger loss in the long term, depending on how long he's out injured. Hopefully it's not for too long. Um but at that time, when you kind of lost players, you're thinking, we're not going to replace like-for-like like, or we're not even going to replace anywhere near like-for-like. Like. So you'd rather held on to them and seen their contracts out at points because you knew they were still going to get a performance out of them. The fact that Ange is already actively looking at the progression of Celtic and actively looking at, right, this player's going to go in six months, I'm going to get this player in now, going to bed them in, and in six months' time, when this player leaves, we've already got someone in there. That sort of um, thing doesn't happen at Celtic that often. Uh, It certainly hasn't in my time watching Celtic. It's always been a sort of firefighting to try and um, replace Mm -hmm. the people that were carrying us. I mean, the (laughs) the prime example of that was when we knew Henrik Larsson was leaving, we didn't bring a replacement in. We waited until late in the the summer window and brought in Henri Kamara on loan. It's not like Celtic to actively future plan. But now we've got Anjin. That's exactly what we're doing just now. You yeah. take a look at these guys. Um, especially you're talking about um, Choju Young. Um, you're talking about um, even Ayawata and these players. A lot of them only have two, three years senior pro experience. A lot of them have played for their, their sort of college teams or university teams. Some of them, especially Cho, I know, played for his um his military team. He had to go and do his military service. Mm. A lot of them haven't played a lot of senior <laughs> football. But the fact that we can bed them in with a team that's been successful in the park, like Celtic are just now, means that in that year or 18 months from now, when they are kinda of up to the level, then they're ready to take over from whoever's playing just now. So it is really good um, forward planning. It's just a case of we've got to accept that if someone doesn't fit into that and doesn't fit into Andrew's model, then we maybe not get what we think we're going to get for them. But Andrew will just take them out the door as soon as possible. Cycles, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Um, Jiranovic, for me,
4: if he leaves for um, seven million quid, I'm going to be asking questions around the the makeup of the deal. Was it a clause in the contract? Uh, because, you know, the the chat around his transfer fees, valuation, and these things fluctuate, Colin. Um, but in terms of someone playing at that level, winning a bronze medal at the World Cup, coming back, Champions League experience. Um, you know, you do look at that and think you would be hard done by. We actually ran a, a show just last week talking about the fact that we can't be short-changed ch- on these two deals. So we'll wait and see. Um, what happens with them before we we make any more comment on it. But I will be disappointed.
5: You take a look at it, Paul, right? So, obviously, we're talking maybe a total of £15 million for the two of these guys. Now, as you say, you you could look at it as being short-changed. But then, what will £15 million in Ange Postacoglu's budget do? Well,
4: well, exactly, you can use it well, but I still look at it and think... Five million pound profit on each of the players when you could be making a hell of a lot more than that.
5: Well, um, I don't
4: understand that, but I think if we continue to, we need to be bold. We need to be strong in the ma- in the market. In that respect, you look,
5: at, you look at the other players that have been potentially linked to moves away just now, like Tyson Maeda was in the the papers yesterday. I think it was what ten million pound potentially for Southampton. I would say Celtic would knock that back because he's part of the team and we've not got a like for like replacement in there yet. Mm. As you say, it's all about cycles and getting people in and out. But I mean, for me, if you gave Ange Post the Koglu £15 million, pound, he could bring in almost a full team and it could be as successful as the team we've got in the park just now. You take a look at some of the signings where you're talking, what, a million pounds for Matt O'Reilly, you're talking the same for Dyson Maeda, uh, Hatate, a couple hundred thousand pounds. We've got the J League player of the year for about a million pounds in Iwata. Uh, so, and
4: the, K, and with... the K league's uh, top goal scorer potentially for three million quid. Yeah. I thought I thought Yakamakis and Juranovic were good deals like mm-hmm. 2.7 for Juranovic, two and a half for, for Yakimakis. I thought it's fantastic, but you are looking to more than double your money on these, particularly if the, um, the selling club, the initial selling club, have got a clause, uh, you know, a sell on clause. So, we will see, but you're right in what you're saying. If you give Ange the money. Um, then he will be able to, you know, he will be able to find players. Last week, we spoke, Colin, about the kind of lost millions on Boyata and Cham and Craig Gordon mm-hmm. when there were big bids on the table, we didn't take them. And it's, you know, £26 million, I think it was, for the three players. Um, and we didn't get a penny for any of the three of them at the end. So I get what you mean. You cash in, particularly on Yakimakis if his head's not in it. Iranovic maybe he's checked out. You know, we're making conclusions based on uh, appearances in Juranovic's case. But, um, like you say, if the money comes in, you would trust that Ange has lined up, uh, you know, able replacements, people Mm. who can come in. Not just, like, we're not just buying for the here and now, like you say, it's no short-termism. We're buying players just now. We're preparing the squad for the Champions League, hopefully, um, exertions next season. And that's something that we haven't had the luxury of for a long time.
5: No, and then you take a look at our kind of sort of previous record in the transfer market, and that's still hindering us as well, because we've got players that are part of the squad just now that are maybe out on loan at other teams. Um, guys like Alvin Ayeti, Vasilis Barkas. I mean, that's ten million pound there on just two players that we're speaking about. I know. Uh, and we said at the time that's the kind of market we want to be shopping in. We want to be shopping in the sort of five, six million pound market. We've been proven so wrong in that case
0: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
5: Because we don't need to compete in that market to bring a quality player and It's all down to your scouting system and actually identifying players that suit the system that Celtic was trying to play. yet Yeti was never going to suit uh, a Neil Lennon style of football uh, Barkas whether it's a confidence thing he seems to be doing quite well out on his loan spell um, you take a look at it and there's, there's other players that we've sort of brought in for that sort of money that somehow we've managed to make our money back on um, like um, you're thinking of Klamala three million Klamala, quid yeah right million quid yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've made mistakes in that market before uh, and I'd rather make a mistake in a, a £1 million market than a 5 £6 million market because that money's harder to get back. It is. And and
4: when Andrew's gone into that kind of level in terms of finance, you know, £4.5 quid for Starfield Kugel, he's bought well. £6 mm. million pound for Yota and Carter Vickers, he's bought well. So you're right, we have made big mistakes in the past when it comes to uh, big money signings. It's not always about the transfer fee. Uh, I don't want us to to be shortchanged. changed We'll find out in the fullness of time if that's going to happen. But obviously, we have got reinforcements coming in should Yakimakis leave the building. And the second part of Jake's point is Yakamakis is OK, but definitely think there's better out there. Happy to sell him and bring in someone else and take the risk that the replacement is an upgrade. You know, I actually think, right, I, you know, what Jake's saying there, Um, I actually think there's better in Jakimakis than what we've seen, Colin. And what Mm -hmm. I mean by that is he comes into the side uh, as a new signing and he doesn't hit the ground running. A lot of Angie's signings have done. Jakimakis didn't. He was unfit when he comes into the side. He's in and out until he establishes himself. And in this season, as we've seen, he's been getting 10 12 minutes here and there he's i think he's only played 4 90 minutes um this season so i don't think we've seen the best of him and again that's a bit of a frustration for me because as i was saying at the the weekend with Laura and Kevin McCluskey um i think that you know watching Yakimakis over a over over a full campaign with no injury issues calling i think we'd see the true value of him we've not seen that yet i don't think
5: i think one of the things you've got with that though is The reason that Giacomacchus got that run in the the team last year was due to the injury to Kyogo. I mean, it's very clear that Kyogo is Ange's first choice. When fit, whenever available, he'll be the one that comes into the team. Now, you can see this season he's starting to repay that. Yes, we could go on and on about some of the chances that Kyogo misses. As I said um, last Tuesday when I was on, I think if Kyogo scored every chance that he got, um, he wouldn't beat a Celtic. Someone would have snapped him up by then. Um, we'd have moved on to a bigger team and that's not necessarily a slight on Celtic but it is the reason why we've got someone of that quality here um, whereas Giacomacus when he's sort of had his 15-20 minute spells it's not like he's came on and he's, he's changed the game necessarily he's not been one of those ones where he thought you know what yeah we'll start him next week because he's the one that sort of won us that game and I don't know if it's the fact that He maybe just needs that run and we're not giving him it. Um, I I can't quite work him out. He is a great option as part of the squad. But obviously, at his age, I can see why he doesn't want to just be an option. He wants to be the main guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, you look back at his career and you take him right up to that one season at Venlo where he got, was it 27 goals? Um, Everything before that was just sort of a bit part player here and there. Mm-hmm. He has shown that when he's given the chance to lead the line, he, he can put the ball in the back of the net as he has done for us last season and for Venlo the season before. And that probably makes sense why he wants to move on if he's not going to be the number one here. He's given, he's, he's kind of come in, he's, he's put his effort in, he's tried to dislodge Kyogo. kiogo's obviously um, backed himself this season and he scored more goals this season than what he did last. So it, it's very difficult. And if he's not up for, continuing to play second fiddle, then fair play to him to move on. And I think that's why you see just um, like, great. OK, we'll get someone else in. Mm-hmm. Ah, for sure. And uh, we don't know, obviously, what the, the attitude's like
4: in the training park, in the dressing room. This, these are things that we have got to take into account. When the news broke that there was interest in Yakimakis, um from clubs over in Japan, obviously the first thing we do is we ask Liam Carrigan about the club uh, their finances, what kind of spending power they, they have. Um, so as well as Sampdoria, as has been reported today, Urawa Red Diamonds over in Japan are interested in Yakamakis. are our clubs in Russia and Germany. Now, that's according to the Greek publication SDNA. Uh, they're talking of £6 million. Um, as I say, I think that's underselling. But I was asking, Liam, our uh, Japanese resident, if there is money within that club, he says there is, it's not unheard of for clubs in Japan to spend five, six million quid on a player, although it's it's unusual, although not unheard of. Um, and I was also asking, what about a player plus cash deal? Uh, and that was before Cho Gyusin came back into the reckoning. Um, and there was no one obvious within that squad who he thinks would benefit. And Postlethwaite's team. So we'll wait and see what happens with Jack Amakis. I think he would leave with most of our best wishes. Paddy Lavery comes in once again. Afternoon to you, sir. Always good to see you on the YouTube chat. Lindsay, afternoon from South Yorkshire. We have people tuning in from all over the globe. It's great to see Michael Ross. hail hail my fellow Celts. Hope you're all warm, well, and happy. What else do you need? Really, come on. That, that's what it's all about. And the urban culture. Good day to fellow Axon addicts. Tip for the day. Is, don't buy Scotch newspapers, get your Celtic news on here. We'll come back to that one because we're going to be talking about the furore that has. rolled on since, in fact, before the Celtic Rangers game in relation to officials in Scotland. Michael Ross sad to see Yakimakis go. His goal secured the title last year, so I wish him well. This is the thing. We don't really have any bad blood with him. Um, We've had that in the past, calling the strikers or some players who have come in and it's been obvious that we've been stepping stone, they've used us, they're mercenaries, they're badge kissers, all of these things. I think Yakimakis has always given... He, he's absolutely all I, I like his attitude I like the fact last season when he came out and he was brutally honest remembering the presser I actually absolutely. thought I was good some people didn't like it I thought it was fine I, I like a bit of confidence and self-belief I've always always enjoyed that um, will he go on to bigger and better things elsewhere I'm not so sure I think no. you made made the point there with regards to Venlo Vivi Venlo Colin prior to that one season where by the way he was on every spot kick and all the all the rest of it but Prior to that season, he had scored something like 30 to 35 senior goals, career goals. Mm-hmm. And then he has a, a purple patch, follows it up with a consistent season, prolific season, last season. He might go to a team where they're not creating the chances that we create, Colin. You know, It's not every striker that gets four or five chances in a game. Um, but when you come to Celtic, you can. And that's why we've brought in strikers in the past who have shown promise for the likes of Motherwell, for example, and have ended up scoring 30 goals a season for Celtic because we, we create so many chances. Um, so he might not have that luxury. Is he looking at his international career and thinking, well, I need to play first-team football? Loads of different things to consider here. But for sure, um, we will wish him all the best. I don't I don't think he's going to be leaving under a cloud or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not going to hold his um, egg timer against him on social media, uh, Colin. But... Before we move on to Zhiranovic and other matters involving in Celtic, um, a couple of ex to talk about. First one, Scott Brown, the Bruni. So, as you will know, he is uh, at Fleetwood and he's looking great. You know how sometimes managers I mean, sometimes managers go in the dugout calling that they're no training day to day. Scott Brown <coughs> is ageing like a vintage wine, a fine wine. He's even grown in the, the mop and everything. Not sure if I'm used to that yet. Anyway, Fleetwood beat Cupia, who were a division above them, beat them in the FA Cup. And then yesterday there was the draw and they have been tied away to fellow League One club Sheffield Wednesday. Are you watching Bruni with interest? Is it something that, you know, I've heard some people in Axelom saying once they're gone, they're gone. I've got to say it. I am. I've got an eye on Bruni. I want to see him doing brilliantly, did
5: not they? I'd like to see him do well. Um... I know that uh, having watched some of his his games this season, um, I don't know if you particularly saw the outburst from Sean Rooney a couple of weeks ago. I did. Um, I don't think that... Uh, and see, I, I say I don't think that had a lot to do with Scott Brown. That is a typical Scott Brown thing for about 10, 15 years ago, but not the Scott Brown of, of nowadays. But um, if you haven't seen it, you'll try and find it somewhere on Twitter. His reaction and his... Um, Back and forth with Gordon Duncan from Super Scoreboard was something to behold as well. Um, poor Gordon was uh, making a joke. It tight. He took it uh, tight. He was only making a wee joke, and Sean was clearly still raging at being sent off that day, but uh, I think they've since apologised. But no, no, it's good to see him doing, doing well. Um, sitting sort of mid-table, I think Fleetwood are relatively happy with um, how he's been since he, he came in. Uh, it's his first managerial job, and that is always difficult at first um, when you come in to try and make that move from being the player to being the, the manager. Um, we've saw it for a number of different people that have struggled in that sense. But no, I think Scott's building a, a good squad down there. I think if they give him some time and they give him some backing, you can definitely get them out of that league. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the next round of the cup coming up against Sheffield uh, Wednesday, uh, I think it was Josh Windass that got the two goals for Sheffield Wednesday the other day as well. So mm. you've got that sort of um, Glasgow derby input to that as well. Um, but no, good luck to Scott. It's always good to see um, fellow Celts doing well, especially someone who was an absolute well as you as they say, leader, legend, um, captain for Celtic mm. for such a long period of time. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's in the
4: 500 club. Um, You know, when I was watching that Sean Rooney incident um, and people were saying, oh, it's it's classic Rooney. I thought Rooney was more controlled with his aggression. I thought Rooney had a control about him. You know, that he wasn't kicking off. I mean, you're going to tell me an instant where he did kick off now. But um, when people were saying that, I mean, Rooney completely lost it, right? And by the way, he's known my Twitter, so I know he's not going to react (laughs) to that. He's not got a clue who I am. But... I mean, he's he's a Celtic fan, isn't he, Sean Rooney? Yeah, and obviously, his granddad Celtic, was yeah. his granddad was Benny Rooney, right? Yep. Who started his career off at Celtic, went to Greenock Morton, made a name for himself at Morton, ended up managing Morton with uh, mm-hmm. Mike Jackson yep. and the team that had Andy Ritchie in it um, and others. But his dad, so Benny Rooney's dad, Bob Rooney, he was the and I'm inverted commas physiotherapist to the team that uh, won the European Cup in 1967. Physiotherapy back then was a heat lamp, apparently. And I always get, you know, I always giggle at the stories that I get told by the ex-players. Tommy Callaghan, Tid, saying that he had a really bad leg injury, so he's up on the treatment table and, you know, he's got this heat lamp out, he says, and he thought it was getting a bit hot, but it wasn't the heat lamp, it was the fag ash from the cigarette that was (laughs) in Bob Rooney's mouth falling onto his leg. Um, That's how antiquated Celtic word back at back in the day but by the way we still won the European Cup so yeah Rooney I always wish him the best because he's fan linked links to uh, that European winning side as well but Scott Brown, all the best I'll be looking after I'll be looking at rather all your results he's kind of steered them clear the relegation um, zone mm-hmm. as well Colin so he seems to be doing pretty well we'll have a wee chat about the B team and also the women's team but before we do that um, we'll be talking about Saturday, and one of the things that really struck me about Saturday um, was Ange Postacoglu's comments. Right, so he was talking about it was it was actually a question that our very own Declan McConville posed to him after the game. But Ange has just got an absolute way with words, and what I was saying to you before about Bruni, you know, just having that control, getting the point across, but having in Bruni's case controlled aggression, but in mm. Ange's case, he gets his point across so so well. Um, but he's always controlled, you know, he never loses it. Anyway, that, that this was a slightly different answer he gave to Declan, who was talking, obviously, about, um, you know, it was, a, it was a very sad day to begin with with regards to the minute silence for Frank McGarvey, for example. And there was a quote that stood out and Ange said, in a difficult time, we gave them a little bit of joy today. And he was talking about Frank McGarvey's kids who were at the game. And he just, he, he just has a habit, Colin, he'd been able to hit the spot with his words Ange Postacoglu. He also paid uh, tribute to Kevin Bridges, his father, uh, Andy, who sadly passed away as well. And, you know, I just shows you the classy Ange. On the one hand, right, he's not afraid to sit there and (laughs) name-check Conor Golson with regards to handballing the ball against Celtic um, and question the consistency of decisions. He's, He's not scared to do that, but when it's required, he knows... How to tap into our psyche and into our emotional side of Celtic calling. And he's not doing it as one of these guys who's a fly by night. He's doing it because he understands it.
5: Mm-hmm. No, I think what it shows is his experience in football. Um, he has come up against bigger, better journalists than anything Scotland can offer. Um, if you want an example of that, all you have to do is go on and take a look at his, his sort of back and forth with the Australian press over the years, especially when he was the was it the under-20s manager. That was uh, his mate as well, eh? That journalist yeah. was a pal of his, eh? Yeah, yeah I still, still best pals now, apparently. Um, he's very passionate about what he does, and you can tell um, he, he picks and chooses the right time to say what he wants to say. Um, I thought he chose his words really well on Saturday, um, and... I don't think at any point there's been something that he said that he thought, that's not befitting of a, a Celtic manager. I think he, he carries himself very well. Um, and when you look across football, especially Scottish football, there's only certain managers that have managed to be able to to do that over their time in Scotland. Some of them get caught up in the, the whirlwind of Scottish media and mm-hmm. um, react to... Uh, what the the media want. I mean, some of the media just basically set them up for what they want to be printed in the back page of the papers the next day. Um, Others have that sort of standoffish approach. Um, Guys like um, Jack Ross. Jack Ross is one of the most standoffish managers you'll see. He just almost point blank refuses to answer questions. And um, I think that's how you see some of these managers don't have the relationships and they don't get the respect of the the press, whereas I think Angel walk away at some point from Celtic going down as one of those guys who didn't stand for any of their nonsense, but they respected them because he he always gave them something to work with Mm -hmm. Um, and he he picks and chooses his words very carefully, so that always means that he comes across very well and it comes across well in the club
4: And, you know, things going awry and and saying things and and being in a mood and all that. And it's such an emotional um, and pressure-filled environment that you can understand it. But I was just thinking, you know, uh, off the hoof there. I remember uh, an interview that Ronnie Daly gave in his second season where, you know, the the fans, were the fans buying into Ronnie? I mean, I remember looking around and the place was half empty a lot of the time, Colin, uh, in that second season. And we now know that there had been some sort of kind of revolt amongst senior players at the club. We know that now. And I remember an interview he gave, and I was comparing it at the time to when he first came in. And the, the pictures of him on that sunny summer's day where he looks absolutely you know, healthy and trim and uh, tanned and all that kind of stuff. And he spoke about philosophy and, and all this kind of, and it was great. And then, you know, 18 months later, I remember him, he was almost a broken man. And he, he was being questioned so much um, about the, the fact that the fans weren't buying into it, etc. He said something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, that, um, you know, if it's clear that they don't want me here, then I'll go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, it's almost as if he's thrown the, the towel in. And, you know, if that's what he was thinking, Colin, you don't say it. And that that's the point you were making. You go into the time of Rogers, and that, interview where he's gone on about Terminado, talking about the club not matching his ambition and you're thinking to yourself, you don't do that in a broadcast, you know what I mean, you don't use our club as a chess piece and an issue that you might have with Peter Lowell and then Neil Lennon, obviously there was a few, I think, um, but the the post Dubai one and the Ferenc Varos after the defeat that you were in the studio after that game, those interviews, they just give too much away, don't they? Whereas I think Ange is far more controlled and his delivery, um, and he does get the, the point across. Now, loads of great comments coming in. The Killing Moon comes in to say, afternoon all, af- absolutely no worries about Jak- um, rather anymore with Johnson in the door. Hope we can get a happy GG until the end of the season. If it goes in Kyogo gets injured, we are relying on an unknown. Well, he is an unknown. Uh, but what do we know about him? So obviously there was murmurings prior to the World Cup that we were going in for him, I think, at that time. Mm. Colin transfer fee was about two million at that Nothing time. Here. Talking yeah. about two million. Um, and he plays for Gion Black Hyundai Motors. Uh obviously my uh, my knowledge of that league isn't great, but he was the top goal scorer in the K-League last season. He's 24 years of age and they're now talking three million quid. We we'll need to play pay three million, which is slightly more. Than the mains of the Bundesliga have offered. Um, and again, though, it, it does strike me with his age. Yeah, it's a market that we don't know that well as fans. I guess, you know, Celtic haven't really shopped in that market. But I think it's uh, a great deal, anyway. I, I think it looks, it's got all the hallmarks, Colin, of another shrewd bit of business by Ange Cogley. Well, we
5: were speaking earlier about someone having a good World Cup and it affecting their, their transfer fee. Well, as you said, talking before the World Cup of maybe a bid for about £2 million for this player. He goes on and scores twice against Ghana in the World Cup and then suddenly he's a £3 million player now. A million pounds is obviously in terms of the transfer fees that we do nowadays not a lot but that's a a sort of 50% increase that have been put onto his value just because of that one performance at the World Cup so if you'd taken that into account of what you would maybe valued uh, Yoranovic at beforehand and then he's a a World Cup semi-finalist, then you can can understand the frustration around totally. where this fee comes at now. Give, give me a fee. What do you reckon would be a reasonable fee for Jelanovic? If you didn't have any sort of clauses, if there was no sort of thing, I would say somewhere in the region of 10 to 12 million. I'm going to say 15. I'm going to say 15, right?
4: And Because my 10 to 12 million was before the World Cup. Mm. So you know, if it works for other players, Colin, why doesn't it work for our player? But as you say, with that caveat, if there isn't a clause, yeah, and we don't we don't know about that at this moment in time. And Jungle Lion comes in and says that it does look like that, and I think that's what we're you know obviously we're surmising as fans it might come out later in the day that that was the case. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean from what I've seen, and most of that was in the World Cup on an international level, um, this looks like another bit of shrewd business by, but he is, he has largely unknown and what I think was meant by the commenter is you're coming in the Killing Moon you're coming in to a completely different environment and I think at the Gucci different league but you know change of culture what I'm talking about here yeah. has shown that it doesn't always work because when he came in you know he was actually more highly rated from the Japanese sources that we were talking to than some of the other Japanese players that came in
5: I think the only thing with the Gucci is he, he had that experience before when he went to Leeds under Bielsa um or was it just before Bielsa came in? I can't remember. Um, but he'd kind of been here before. He'd sort of not really hit the ground running. He had his injury concerns. So I, I think yeah, the Gucci one, in hindsight, probably was a, a gamble. Um, and it's not really paid off for us because of the way that others like Katati have hit the ground running. Um, looking at Cho, as we said earlier, it's interesting because... He's obviously now completed his military service, so we don't have to worry about that in the same way that we did when uh, when Dave came in, or Key. Just call me Dave. I loved Key. I
4: absolutely loved Key. I thought he was tremendous talent.
5: Yep, absolutely. Um, But what was quite interesting, doing a bit of research into Cho last night, was that he started his career as a midfielder um, and then was moved further forward by uh, one of his coaches, and then went on to become the, the J League's top scorer. Sorry, not J League, the K League top scorer. So um obviously whoever saw that in him is, should be rewarded for um what he's done. But you think he scored something like twenty-three goals in thirty odd games. Um he's done really well at that Hyundai Motors team that you were mentioning. Um Gion Buck. That one. And he looks he looked pretty good in the World Cup. So Yeah, it's a bit of a gamble bringing someone like that in, as you say, especially if Kyogo gets injured. But you've also got the options like playing Maeda through the middle. Um, We we saw it last year, not necessarily particularly great, but um, playing guys like Abada through there. And then for me, I think it's time that we we start to integrate some of the B team. I know we're looking at potentially them not being up at that level yet, but I think experience to to first-team football, especially... If we can sort of build a gap in the league would be um, something I'd like to see. Guys like Vata obviously been on the bench, came off the other week. Um, Joey Dawson scoring goals for fun in the the lower league. What's that, six Um, and three? Six and three. He got a double in the Glasgow Derby at Celtic Park. He got a a couple of goals against Open Goal the other week as well. Look, It's time for these guys to be thrown in at the deep end to see if they've got anything and if they've not, then we move them on. Um, so like likes of Lawson, Boston Law, Brock um Joey Dawson, let's get them in to the first team, let's see if they can even challenge for a spot um, and then take it from there. I'm glad you brought up the B team because um, I had someone
4: talking to me the other day there who was at the, the Rangers game, the B team, yeah. And I asked the question, um, which of the, the players, because I, I'm hearing a lot about certain players, Colin, but I don't go and watch the B team as often as I would like. Um, what Which of the players would, would come into the Celtic side? And he, he was not confident that many would, if any, at this stage. So even the, the higher rated players he felt weren't ready yet. For you know who who are they going to replace is is the is the question, and I think that that is an issue. We've spoken about it before. That will only be resolved with the B team playing at a higher level. They are in the hunt for the league this season, but we know that that won't result in promotion. Um, and you know, I, I've been looking at this and thinking, well, we're probably maybe even a decade behind when it comes to actually being able to dip into the B team and pull out a player who is actually ready for the first team you're going to have anomalies you're going to have guys like Ben Doak who probably would have been able to but obviously we know what happened there but over the piece you want to have a backup team a B team, a coach team, what used to be a reserve team, um, and all its different guises. You want to have a backup team that every season I've got three or four players that can step into the first team squads, not right into yeah. the first team, but into that squad, Colin. And I don't think at the moment, simply because of the level they're playing at, that that's going to be possible. And even if we win the league, it's not going to be possible next season. So I think again, further reconstruction would be required, you know, whereby um is it ever going to be agreed? That promotion would be a
5: thing up to at I, least uh, the I championship. Think, I don't think so. But what we can continue to do is be successful as a first team, because being being successful as a, a first team opens up the opportunity for the likes of the younger players to go on and compete at a European level. Has the opportunity to get them invited to major tournaments um, across uh, Europe. And we're we'll speaking in the chat earlier on. Celtic have been invited down to the Premier League Invitational under-23s tournament. Um, I think they've got three or four games coming up in February. Uh, They were obviously part of the UEFA Youth League, Mm -hmm. um, which I went over and saw the the game against Real Madrid. Um, It's a fantastic wee stadium. Dedication for you, Colin. eh? Going over (laughs) to Spain to watch the B team. If you ever get a chance to see that stadium, by the way, it's, it's a fantastic stadium. What do they call it? The Alfredo de Stefano Stadium is where they played um, during COVID. Um, obviously, whilst the Bernabéu is still under reconstruction as well, I think they play some games there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's fantastic. They've the, the set up there; uh, they must have spent in the essence of ten million pounds on that stadium. It's it's unbelievable. Um, but then we, I looked at some of the players that played in that game, and some of them really didn't look out of place. Um, guys like. Um, Lesosa or Letoza, however it's pronounced, I probably butchered that one, in midfield, who mm-hmm. actually I thought had a, a good game against strangers as well. Um, you've got guys like Summers and um, even the, the captain that day, I think the boy McPherson. They're all very highly rated, but the more that they play against people of this level, the better they're going to become. I mean, if you can up your game to play against someone like Real Madrid, what would you rather play against Real Madrid or would you rather play against without any sort of insult here, Trinente Juniors or um, Cumbernauld Colts? So it's maybe more important that these guys, yeah, they've got somewhere to play every Saturday, that's a good thing to have, but we should be putting them out on loan as well. We should be trying to get them into teams in the Championship, maybe even the Premiership, um, and just getting them out there and giving them some experience of proper men's football. If they can't come into our first team, then we've got to get them first-team football somewhere. Um, I think the the B-team thing is a good idea in the Lowland League, but only up to a certain age. I think once you hit 18, then you should be looking to play first-team football somewhere else. I think it's a great thing for our under-18s to be a part of. mm -hmm. And you take a look at some of the players that have played there and came through, and you're starting to get excited. The likes of um, Rocco Vata, still 16, quite exciting. Ben Doak, obviously, before he left. But then when you hit that sort of age gap, when you're looking at players like Boston Law and Mackenzie Carson and um, players of that ilk, they need to take that step up after the 18 level because they're just going to stagnate at that league. Yeah. Or and leave. Or leave the club. Yeah. And I think entirely. for the sort of the, the funding that we give the team, and what we get back from it, I, I think over the last couple of years, it's, it's certainly not balanced itself out. Um, but again, I'd like to see us just throw these guys in and say, look, this is it. This is your chance. You have been the best players of your age group. Are you going to make that a step up in the way that Keenan Tierney was the third choice left back mm-hmm. in the reserves at one point? And we threw him in just because the reserves were away and they were the only ones that was he was the only one that was available and he took his opportunity. Uh the same way Dane Murray came in and impressed quite a few people when he was the only option that we had. So we give these guys an opportunity and yeah, because maybe they don't stand out in the B team doesn't mean that they'll not stand out in the first team. But it's <coughs> a, a case of giving them that chance. And I mean games coming up against the likes of Morton and no offense to Morton, I'm obviously I'm a, a greener boy myself. I, I hope that Morton do really well, but I'd like to see like likes of Vata, Dawson, uh, Lowell, even just being given 20, 30 minutes against these teams to show that they can take that opportunity. I know.
4: And I was just thinking that you were saying, give them a chance. <laughs> do we give them a chance? Does Stephen Welsh and... Um Johnson, Mikey Johnson, and, and previously Anthony Ralson. Uh, are they treated differently because they've come through the ranks? Probably. You know, we, we've spoken about that as well. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. And um, also, there is some news breaking on Twitter involving the Celtic women's team. Um, one of their top talents, actually, Clarissa Larise, uh, top goal scorer um, at the club, mm-hmm. double cup winner last season. She's actually left the building, so she's completed a move to Hacking. And, and it says here for an undisclosed fee, but our uh, sources would suggest that it is a, a national record for uh, a women's footballer. And yeah, that's that's a bit of a blow because she's a top player. But I think what we're going to find is very much what we're saying there as well, Colin. Once there's a ceiling on a talent, if you're playing women's football and the league isn't completely professional, um, you know, I think that, for example, if you're looking at your international as she is, a Canadian internationalist, of course, mm-hmm. you'll be wanting to play in a full pro league. And uh, I think that comes into it in the women's game. I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
5: Now, Clarissa, uh, sorry, Clarissa Atlantis, was a fantastic striker for Celtic. She came in. Um, and I know there's some of the, the boys from uh, Canada that are big Celtic fans. They were aware of her before she came over. Um, and she took a bit of time to hit the ground running, but when she did, she came in and we're talking about, um, I totally forgot the, the girl's name that was scoring goals for fun before she left as well. Um, and they were talking about how she would be very difficult to replace. And Larissa came in and done uh, very, very well. You've also got like Sir Jacinta, who's um, carrying the, the team as well with her goals. Um, look, as you say, Scottish women's football is not at the level yet Um, Celtic and Rangers are both professional, Glasgow City are making that move to become professional Um, you've also got the likes of uh, Hearts and Hibs who are investing a lot of money into the teams as well but (laughs) there's always going to be that divide, there's always going to be um, people and you can see it in the chat already who are not interested in women's football and will never be interested in women's football Um, And then you've got the ones that are willing to give it a go and willing to back it just to see how it goes. And it's always that case of, well, it's Celtic at the end of the day. Um, It's going to need a lot of investment to get there. But you take a look at what happened down south, obviously England winning the the Euros. I've seen crowds of 30,000, 40,000 at the Etihad to watch the Man City game. You see sort of sell-out stadiums at um, some of the, the lower league teams I think Man United had a crowd of about forty odd thousand for their derby game against uh, Man City. The only the only way we'll be able to attract the talent and to improve the standard of football is if we get that sort of investment. Because these teams down south, they can they can afford to pay probably similar wages to what we pay in the Championship in Scotland. Just now, yeah,
4: and some of the Premier League teams as well, Colin. Yeah. And that that is the uh, that is the difference. The gap is. Absolutely huge. I want to talk a wee bit, obviously, before we um, wrap up, because it's been a quick 50 minutes so far. Ian Laurie, um, we have a gaffer that's won a league from nowhere and 12 points clear, cut to nine yesterday. Why question his Transfers now, let him do his work. Absolutely, we're not questioning them. We're just talking about them, sir. Peter Caloero, early today, 12-29. Aye, uh, see we do listen to yeah. feedback. Colin, we listen to the feedback of our loyal followers and listeners. I shouldn't call you loyal, um, our devout followers and, and listeners. We listen to your feedback and we wanted to make sure that we were in early, even though I took Colin by surprise by throwing him right in. Uh Moniz, seven million is scandalous. I think it's scandalous for Jordanovich. I think if Yakimakis is going and that's what we get from, I'll probably be happy with that. Paddy goes Golson has saved more shots than Barkas. Right. I'm going to start there then Paddy, you've opened the floodgates Right, so Goldson, twice in a week Saves the ball Against Celtic And then clear blatant handball Against Dundee United Not penalised on either occasion No VAR checks on either occasion either By the referee at the monitor Now, the minute anybody speaks up, and I've been watching um, social media with interest over the last week, since Monday of last week, the minute everybody mentions it, particularly if you're a Celtic fan, Colin, um, then you get shouted down. You get shouted down from all quarters. And I don't just mean the usual suspects on Twitter. I'm talking the media. Um, You know, they they actually, anything at all that you say in relation to, right, it's a poor decision. Rangers get them and we don't. Straight away, you're called paranoid, um, you're called conspiracists, and I don't think this is either of the two, the situation that we're in at the moment. Um, and I've said it before, and people might think that you're a moon and all this kind of stuff, right, because that's what they call you to try and discredit you, because that's what conspiracy is, isn't it? Um, I mean, if somebody had... Let's not get into some other conspiracies that turned out to be 100% correct. But anyway, conspiracies often is because there is something to conspire about. So with regards to my position on this, I think there's a pro-rangers bias. And often it is an anti-Celtic bias. Now, people say, oh, that's cheating and that's corruption. No, it's not. It's bias, which is completely different. But what I would underline is the fact that in this country, when it comes to football calling, there has been cheating and there has been corruption and it has been under the SFA's watch, so if you say that this is Pro Rangers, which I believe it to be, um, t- history tells us that, that that doesn't have to be far off the mark. A couple of examples, right? And I know that people in the comment section will be well aware of them, as will yourself, Colin. 1999, not a million years ago, 1999, after a three-year battle with the SFA, um, Jim Farry was relieved of his duties and due to the fact that he had deliberately delayed the registration of George Cadet which resulted in a missing six games Fergus McCann wouldn't let it go and it was done deliberately um, to prevent us from having a star striker in one particular game against Rangers in the Cup but six games all in have a look at the league table and see how many points we lost to lead by ask yourself would George Cadet have scored a couple of goals to make those draws wins answer is probably yes Um, fast forward to October 2010 doogie doogie you'll remember But at Tannadice, Celtic get a penalty. Was it Gary Hooper taken down by the the goalie? And uh, the referee gives the penalty. He then consults his assistant referee. And there is this um, lie which develops, um, which says that it was the assistant referee that called him over, shouting doogie doogie in his earpiece. Didn't happen. Of course, Stephen Craven admitted that. It was all a bunch of lies. And uh, Hugh Dallas, not long afterwards, November 2010. And by the way, what I find interesting about that one, Colin, is I've, I've heard this, oh, you want to pressurise the rest so they go and strike. That's not the way it happened. That is not the way it happened back mm-hmm. then. Because you show me a Celtic statement at that time. You show me a, a, Celtic, a statement that Celtic made at that time. It was like they just ate themselves alive uh, because they knew that they were uh, going down a blind alley with it. It did result in referee strike. It also resulted in McDonald uh, resigning. He was Dougie McDonald, of course, the guy who was refereeing the game. And the following month, Hugh Dallas plus five others within the referees department resigned over offensive emails involving the Pope and child abuse. These guys are at the head of refereeing at the time, Colin. So when we're talking about pro Rangers or anti-Celtic bias, I think that you've got plenty of examples to suggest and this is not to mention DOS EBT side letters, five way agreements, uh, undeclared overdue payables to allow registrations in European football, all under the same SFA's watch. So I think as Celtic fans we are allowed to question what's going on with regards to the decisions that are being made and also the implementation of our. and I think it's only right that Anne just called it out and the
5: club are in dialogue with the SFA because it's a scandal at this moment. Yeah, uh, you can't disagree with, with anything that you just said there. Um, what I do find interesting is that Celtic have kind of certainly over the last couple of weeks been a lot more vocal. Um, it started with the players, and then Ange came out in the press conference, and then the next thing Celtic started to go behind the scenes and started to speak to the SFA. Now, for me, there's two ways to look at this, right? Obviously, Celtic are calling it out, which is exactly what they should be doing. If they think something is incorrect, which we I think we can all agree that the decisions that we've seen is incorrect, then you have to call it out. The other bit for me, though, is I think it's going to take more than just Celtic, pull. I think you've got to try and get some sort of coalition with other teams in the league. Because as you say, that's so easy for them to just turn around and say, Oh, it's Celtic V Rangers or oh, it's Celtic V What if that 2 0 defeat relegates Thunder United? What if at exactly. the end of the
4: season, right, they're looking at that saying, Because it was a critical time of the game, nothing each before half time calling. Yep. Yeah, there was a bit of a collapse and there was an upsurge in rain. Re- we know all that. But that was a pivotal moment of that game. And that, yeah. you know, that could have been one point that they got. And at the end of the season, if that club's relegated and people are made redundant and all that kind of stuff, the
5: impact is huge. So you're right. Sometimes it needs to impact other clubs. Yeah, I think it's going to take more than just Celtic to do this, um, to actually stand up for it. Now, the one team in Scotland that voted against the introduction of VER is my home club, Greenock Morton. And they're taking great fact in the terrible decisions that are being made because they know they voted against it. Um, I think if you looked at whether you had to continue the funding for VER next season, how many teams would support it, I don't think there'd be, there'd be that many that would be rushing in to back it. I think every team this year has come out and says that VAR has sort of been an introduction to Scottish football that wasn't welcome. It came in at the wrong time of the season for me the fact that you bring it in halfway through a season, when have you ever done something like that before? You're totally changing the rule books from what was at the start of the season to what it is now. Um, This set of referees, as you say, I think there's definitely a bias in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that they are capable enough of holding that sort of power with the equipment. I mean, you saw John Beaton last week saying... I'm not making it's that. Not, decision. It's not my call. It's, it's, it's not, not to my call. me. Something like that. Yep. Right. And at the he's end of riff. the day, if he's the referee, it's always meant to be that the referee's words final. And if he's, I'm trying to keep it clean here. If he's backing out of that decision, that's not the word I wanted to say. Um, then it tells you that how can you trust that the referee's decisions final? I think. And if you're going to bring Var into Scotland, right? And I said it last week as well, you need a team from outside that have got the experience of having VAR before. Now, everybody makes mistakes with VAR at the start. We understand that it's difficult at times to work it out, but these things can be um, resolved. You saw it working very, very well. Um, It it works well at the World Cup. It worked well. Um, It now seems to work well down in in England. There's still a couple of things that are, are touch and go. But you need the experience... It could be a system that's already working, I totally agree yeah. with you. It could be remote. doesn't yeah, have to be a van parked outside. side. You need these people with the experience to come up and say, look, this is how you actually do it. And this is a penalty and that's not a penalty. This is a decision that you can look at. This isn't a decision you can look at. Go to the screen, understand the screen a bit better, understand what you're actually watching. If you're taking more than three looks at it, come away again, because the more you look at something, the more you're actually going to see something. You've got to give it as an, as as much as you would have gave it in real life. So I, I don't think these referees were ready for it. Right? I'm not saying every referee in Scotland's biased. There's certainly ones that we know out there that show a, a favouring to to one team or another. But there is definitely not every single one of them. I mean, that's that logically that's impossible. But they're just not ready for this equipment. Paul, they're not ready for, for VAR, I said this at the time, I th- I was not looking forward to the introduction of VAR because it's not about the system itself, VAR is not the problem, it's the people that are implementing and running the system that are the problem and that doesn't change whether you spend £10 million on VAR, whether you spend £1 million on VAR, it makes no difference, no difference at all.
4: It's like giving me a video file and saying, go and edit that and put it on the channel. That's exactly what I did last night with an interview with Fran Alonso. It's my first effort. Go and have a look. And whilst you're on there, subscribe Mm -hmm. to the channel and give this wee video a link. We used to laugh on here, Colin, about um, there was this feature every week in the Shoot magazine. I love Shoot, Match, Royal Rovers, probably all a wee bit before your time, Colin. And the Celtic View, of course, as well as not the View. And there was this section called You're the Ref. And it would give you a scenario and then it would give you the options and not the view parried it, parodied it. And uh, the option four or D was always book Paul Elliott because he got booked 16 times in a season. And now you're the refs, not the view, parody would be option D penalty to Rangers. You know what I mean? It always would be, every right. single time, an option. Um, Ange called it out, says Tom Mack, uh, when he said the only two saves that, that day were Connor. Goldson and Joe Hart. He did. He did. And he called it out pretty well. Listen, there's loads more to talk about but uh, that is our, our up, Colin Watt. Uh, the comments have been very, very busy. I have If you haven't done so already, I was checking this morning, we're about 15 away from 20.4 thousand subscribers on the YouTube channel. It does help us if you subscribe. It allows us to uh, obviously grow the channel and if we can grow the channel, we can do a lot more with it. Some of that will be on a live stage and we are going to be live with Danny McGrain in March in Glasgow at Gracie's. Ticket link is under the video as well. All that's left for me to say, Colin, what? thank you once again for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind.